First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Starting in verse 1. It says this. <clears throat> Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you um, have given it to us, um, that it's from you, that we don't have to wonder. Uh, God, it's truth, and it's um, a firm foundation on which to build our lives. So God, as we look at this passage, would you encourage us, convict us, uh, move us, and change us? And um, God, we just give you the glory uh, for all the work you do in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, have you ever wanted to have a really important job? A really important job. I remember growing up, I used to think that I wanted to be in the FBI. It just seemed like those guys were important, you know, wore a nice suit and flashed a badge and did important things. Some of you may think you have important jobs. Um, Maybe some of you do. I don't don't know everybody's vocation. Um, Maybe you've never had an important job. Maybe you've always thought, man, I'm just just a whatever. You fill in the blank. Um, I want to tell you, uh, in the kingdom of God, all of us in this room have an important job. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about. I remember uh, I could tell you where I was and when it was when I first ever heard this passage as a believer. Um, I was in college. I was in a retreat for some college leadership that I, I joined this leadership team. And we were in this weird room, this weird science room, um, because our, the regular room we used was, I don't know what was going on in there, but they had us meet in this science. So there's microscopes lined up over here. But I can remember it. Because of the way this passage made me feel, uh, because of the way this passage changed how I thought about um, my own place in the kingdom of God. And so I want to, I hope that whether you're here young or old, whether you've heard this passage a million times or whether you haven't, uh, that we might consider anew what it means um, to be God's and to have him affect us, okay? So I have two main points this morning for those of you that like to take notes. Uh, The first is Christ's suffering for me changes my thinking. Okay, changes my thinking. Look down at the text. And yeah, we're going to go through all 11 verses, so we're going to move pretty fast, okay? Um, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Okay, so Peter is writing to a group that suffered 
right? Um, we've been thinking about this. And um, we don't know if they were under major persecution yet or if, or if it was major persecution was on the way. But uh, they were suffering for being Christians. It, it wasn't easy. Uh, the Roman Empire, when, when uh, Christianity first began, was a very hostile place. Um, especially towards Judaism, and then especially even more towards Christianity. Okay, and so Peter's been reminding them about how do we live in that suffering? How how do we view it? How 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 should we think about it as believers? How do we endure? And yet, uh, here he says, "Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking." Uh, some of us, when we think about an important job, we think about a job that has a gun, right? I think, oh, that must be an important job if they let that person carry a gun around, right? We, we judge a security guard based on whether they're allowed to have a gun or not, right? Um, if we, do I have to listen to you? Okay, you've got a weapon. I should listen, right? That's not really a good determiner, but... Um, and he says, arm yourselves with the thinking of Christ, okay? He suffered for us, and so that changes my thinking, right? It changes how I think about life. Um, and how does it do that? Look down at the end of verse 1. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to no longer live the rest of the time in the flesh for human passions. Okay? So the first way it changes my thinking is I should be done with sin. Okay? Now we may think this is a pretty obvious point, but uh, when we come to Christ and when we're following Him, we need to be done with sin. Okay? Now that's not to mean we're going to never sin. But I think about this. Um, Have any of you ever had a bad experience at a seafood restaurant? (sighs) Some of you know my famous story about seafood. I didn't really like fish, but I was in Santa Barbara. I was on the pier. And I thought, of all the places to get fish, it's got to be good in Santa Barbara on the pier. So I got the clam chowder. Okay, It didn't go well. It didn't go well for about three days. All right? And I'm telling you, ever since that point, I have been done with fish. Done. The smell of it, the, whatever it is, you can ask my whole family. We don't eat fish while I'm there. My son finally, he's in second grade, and he finally asked to taste it. And so we had his grandpa take him out to eat fish. Right? I'm not going to do it. I'm done with it, okay? And I've been done with it. That was my 10th grade year in high school, I think, and I'm done with it, okay? And so I just want to tell you, it's an illustration, though, of how we can be done with something. I think about another thing. My grandmother in Texas, um, she was a smoker. She was a smoker. And um, then she got a call from the doctor saying, we found something on your lung x-ray. We think it might be cancer. And the story she told and I believe it, is she crumbled up her pack of cigarettes and threw it away, never smoked another one. Now, they called back and said it wasn't cancer two weeks later. Can you imagine? Right? Maybe lung doctors do that on purpose. I'm not sure. Um, but it was effective for her. It was enough of a scare for her to say, this habit that I've had, I'm done with. I'm done with it. Okay, and so I want to encourage us, I just want to remind us that in our thinking, and we all do this sometimes, we tend to think that sin can be tolerated, right? Pastors do, everybody does this, where 
we'll notice a sin in our lives and the Lord's trying to get our attention with it. And uh, yet in our minds, we should think, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. As soon as I recognize it, I'm done with it. And so I want to encourage you, that's how we should think. But it's not just that we're done with things, right? Look down at what it says at the end of verse 2. What do we live, what do we think about now? But for the will of God, right? But for the will of God. So what am I living for now? I'm done with fish, right? I'm done with sin. Um, I'm living for the will of God. Then in my thinking, there's been a switch that happens, okay? Now, this is the danger in American Christianity especially, is that we get that first part. Okay, as a Christian, done with sin, right? And we even let it change our thinking in some ways. You know, we want to, you're thinking, maybe your thinking changes and you're pro-life now or something, like some, whatever it is. But then we get stuck on living for our own will, right? And we think as long as I'm not being bad, there it is, I'm living as a Christian. I don't want to tell you the switch here is not done with sin, live your best life. That's not, what the, that's not what Peter tells these believers, right? He says, done with sin, that you might live for the will of God. Okay, why? Look down at verse 3. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. All right, basically what he's saying, if I can summarize this quickly, you've wasted enough time. Whenever you came to Christ, you've wasted enough time with all that other stuff, right? And I'm not going to go through that list. We all know the things that we wasted our lives on before we came to Christ, okay? And he wants to say it was a waste. It was a waste. Suffice to say what the Gentiles live for. Now again, you have to think though, this isn't just stuff that was outright bad. There's a lot of people that don't know Christ that are wasting their lives on things that they think are good, right? Accumulating money, working for a good cause, or being a good person, Right? And he says, no, the will of God, the will of God, you've wasted enough time. Look down at verse 5. Well, verse 4, with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. Oh, Peter, good writer, right? says, <laughs> we should be living in such a way where the world is surprised that we don't jump into the bad stuff with them. Okay? But verse 5 says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. What does it change my thinking about? So I'm done with sin. I live for the will of God. I've wasted enough time. And the last thought is the end is coming. Right? The end is coming. God's ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 6 is kind of strange, but I'll try to give it an explanation. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Basically, what he's saying is there were believers who had died, okay, probably under this persecution that they were facing. Um, that there were people who had been so mistreated or had been thrown in prison for so long that they, they died. And he says, This is why the gospel was preached to them, because the world thinks that they're dead, but they're not, <laughs> right? They're alive as God is alive, which is true life. Okay, and so he's trying to point again our thinking to say, the judge is here and it doesn't matter what, it, what, what, what happens in this life physically to us, right? How poor we are, how rich we are, how much we suffer, how much we don't suffer. Uh, he says what matters is the will of God in our lives. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand, 
All right? Again, last in our thinking. Okay? I'm done with sin. I want to live for the will of God. I've wasted enough time, and the end is coming. I don't know how many of you guys have been on a flight lately. I've flown a lot more than I ever wanted to in the past year, uh, going back and forth to Italy with our daughter. By the way, she's doing good. Thank you for your prayers for our little Leah and for our family getting settled. Um, We're trying to find doctors for her now here in the States, so we ask for your prayers for that, but it's going good. Um, She's a sweet little girl. Um, But have you ever been the end of a flight? There's just one thought on everybody's mind, (laughs) right? It's like a race, okay? As soon as the seatbelt sign turns off, Boom, we're off to the races, okay? Uh, That's just the end of a flight, right? When Peter says the end of all things is near, he's saying, folks, um, we're in the last days. We have the gospel. That's the only thing, right? Everybody's going to end up either dying or Christ is going to come back. This is the end, right? The end of all men. And he says, we know that the end is near, and so that should affect how we think. Okay, so the first main point was Christ's suffering for me changes my thinking. Secondly, Christ's suffering for me changes my actions. Changes my actions, okay? I don't know about you guys, but I'm a thinker. I'm a thinker. I'm not always a doer, okay? Um, And so the second half is the part when I sat in that weird science room in college that just smacked me upside the head, right? Up until that point, um, I'd, been, I'd been thinking a lot about Christianity. Uh, changed my thoughts, but, but my actions. So, look down at verse 7. Again, the end of all things is near. Therefore, all right, this is an action word, okay? There is action to be taken after this word. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers, Okay? Self-control is an action, (laughs) okay? To stay sober-minded means to not let yourself be affected by the things of the world, okay? It's it's literally the thought of sober, like that, but not just of drinking, but in the idea of I've I got to be too focused. I have too important of a job to be intoxicated, distracted, whatever it is. Okay, we all think about. thinking about planes, actually, right? The things of, like, pilots that fall asleep at the wheel. Oh, man, just makes you want to fly, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, or texting, right? Texting and driving. you got too important of a job going on, folks, to be intoxicated, distracted by the things. Okay, now he's going to get to it. Verse 8, above all, above all. When the Bible says above all, folks, this is important stuff. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So how does it change my actions? Love. Love. Um, again, this is talking love as an action. Um, it's not talking a, a great feeling, okay? It says, let, so literally, literally in the original, it says, hold love for one another zealously. Right? That our love would, would be zealous, right? that there would be action to it, that there would be sacrifice that happens. Okay? As, a, as, as a part of what God's doing in our lives, that all of a sudden my actions would look zealously sacrificial for other people. That's different. 
That's a lot different than what, than what the world lives for nowadays. Zealously sacrificial for other people. Hmm. Why? Uh, he, and he gives us a, a benefit of that. It covers a multitude of sins. If I'm zealous to sacrifice for you, it's not going to matter if you offended me a little bit. You get that? That's what he's basically saying. Um, it's not going to matter if we're a little bit different. It's not going to matter if we have a disagreement about something. I'm not going to say, oh, nope, don't have to serve you anymore because you offended me. No. No, zealous love covers a multitude of sins. All right? So, love one another, verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. <laughs> oh, the grumbling. Uh, this means welcome, right? Show hospitality basically means it's the word for be welcoming. Be welcoming, okay? So I'm supposed to be loving, I'm supposed to be welcoming without grumbling. Um, right? You hear the, well, I guess nowadays, uh, we, so we moved into this new house and it's got this fancy doorbell. You guys seen this? Where it rings and then I can see a picture of who's there. Right? You can see a picture. That's where the grumbling starts. Right? It used to be the grumbling could only start once you actually open the door. Now, I have a video screen that will show me. That's not welcoming, right? When I see it on the thing, I oh. Be welcoming. What about at church even more, Right? Man, it should not be the case that we walk in here and we see someone and go, oh. It happens more than we want to admit in our churches, right? And let alone when a stranger walks in and we go, oh, great, a visitor we have to take care of. <laughs> Could you believe it? Oh, uh, see, but I mean, as pastors, we, sometimes you all try to keep the grumbling away from us, but we still hear it, Right? <laughs> Oh, so many kids in my class, and they were hooligans. Oh, we spent money on this thing. We church shouldn't have spent money on that thing. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Right? Be welcoming. Love sacrificially and be welcoming. Okay? Not complaining. And then verse 10. This is the one that did it to me. Verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I mean, this, I remember sitting in that class and like, whew, good stewards of God's varied grace. Who is God going to give this job to again? Me? You? Us? That God would look at us and say, you know who I'm going to put as a manager over my grace? You all. And we go, I thought I wanted an important job, but God, I'm not sure if this is really going to work out. It's more important than anything, right? It's, more, it's the most important job I could ever imagine. Right? There's some guy with the, whatever it is, the nuclear football thing handcuffed to his wrist for our country, right? There's some admiral somewhere. President Trump thinks he's got an important job. This! 
that we are stewards of God's grace? Okay, and I want to encourage you. This doesn't mean that I have saving grace to dish out to people. It's not what this means, okay? But this means that God wants to show His favor to other people through us. And look what it says at the first part of verse 10. As each has received a gift, God has given you favor. Other passages in the Scriptures, and I almost preached out of those passages this morning, but instead I came to this one. But other passages say you have gifts that God has given you for this purpose. To be used to give His favor to other people. And to be honest, all throughout the Scriptures, specifically to the church. Right? If we don't love our own, sacrifice for our own, it doesn't, to be honest, we can do an outreach event and go show people kindness for two hours. But if they come in here and see that we treat each other terribly the rest of the time, or see that we don't care about sacrificing for each other except for those couple hours where we're doing an outreach event, this is the logic of the New Testament, really is that the church needs to be the church to the church so that our testimony in the world would, would be real. That when we go out there and tell of the love of Christ or have an outreach event or serve in the community, that, that what we're doing here in the body would be consistent with that. Right? Jesus says they'll know you by your love for one another. Right? And he's giving you a gift. And so part of this is why I made up this little green sheet here. Right? You have a gift. There's a way that God wants to show favor through you. Right? Through you. There's something. There's something. And we'll help you figure. If you have no idea what that is, come talk to us. That's dangerous, right? Um, come volunteer to the pastor. <laughs> right? Um, but these are just the ones that I came up with off the top of my head. There's others. Maybe the Lord's gifted you in something not even on here. Let us know. Tell us. Um, we want you to serve. And really, I want to tell you, it's the best job there is. Now, go back to our thinking for a second. Uh, sin, God's will. Okay? In my actions, there's the same temptation. Am I going to consider my most important job being a steward of God's grace? Or am I going to consider my most important job being a steward of my kingdom? I tell you what, one doesn't pale, one, one pales in concern to the other. My kingdom is not an important job, right? Some of us, uh, we need to be careful of that. We build up our own selves, build up our kingdom, build up our finances, build up our ego, build up our whatever it is, our resume, all that stuff. That's not an important job. No offense to anybody. I mean, we're into Hatchby, folks. You know, um, or into Hatchby. Uh, keep going, verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. So I get to steward God's grace and speak as if I was speaking for Him. Whew. What a privilege. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. When I serve, I get to serve as if God's the one who's giving me all that I need to do it. 
right? at his bequest, at his, like, he's the, page, he's the one that is giving me these things that I might serve. What a privilege. In the end of the verse, in order, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Um, this, is, this is what it means to be a part of God's people. Right? is that we can speak and serve for Him, that we can change our thinking away from all the stuff that the world says is important and to the will of God. And so I really want to encourage you all today. Um, be blown away that we have this most important job. Change our thinking. Change our actions. Serve one another. Love one another. Um, welcome each other. And um, let's do it. Covering sin without complaining and for the glory of God. Okay, um, that's sweet. We love. We see growth in this church. Some of you, you don't need to hear this sermon. In fact, you, I should have told you to leave, right? So some of you are the types where you're going to feel guilty after this sermon. Just want to say a note. Um, some of the very people that are going to feel guiltiest after this sermon are some of the people that show the most sacrifice around here. Right? And I'm not talking to you. Take the day off, right? You're doing your job. Um, but I want to encourage those of us that could, that should, that can do more, that could sacrifice, that need to plug in, plug in. Even the smallest thing goes a long way. And that may be exact. I mean, have you all ever had that where the one person doing the smallest thing for you means the world? Right. You don't know. I mean, so just somebody could walk in here for the very first time and their life could be falling apart. We ha- It happens. And so you may think, oh, the greeter, that's not a very important job. I mean, passing out the bulletin, smiling, being presentable, hopefully. <laughs> right? And yet, that person whose life has fallen apart, a smile, a handshake, a bulletin, and a hug, that might mean the world. Okay? And so I really want to encourage you guys to, to pray about and think about where you could get involved. Okay? Let me pray for us, and then uh, we're going to take the Lord's table together. God, thank you for um, the fact that you've given us such a privileged job. Um, Thank you for the fact that you've um, made it possible uh, that you haven't just forgiven us, um, but that you've forgiven us, set us at your table as your sons and daughters, and sent us out as your ambassadors. Um, So God, we love you. Thank you so much for that. Um, May it be to your glory, God. May we never be around here serving or loving to make ourselves look good. Um, But may we do it for you. Um, God, thanks that you've cared for us and loved us. And uh, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.